Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with jazz multi-instrumentalist Joe McPhee. He was born in Miami, Florida and grew up in New York. His first recording came in 1967 when he appeared on the Clifford Thornton album. At the age of 32, he taught himself the saxophone after experiencing the music of John Coltrane. Since the late 1960s, he is well known for his free jazz work all the way up until the present day. This is a very enlightened, talented cat, so please get to know Joe and dig this interview, my friends. Hey, Joe, thank you for taking a little minute out for Neon Jazz. I appreciate it, sir. Sure. And I'm going to go ahead and dive right in here with everything and ask you, just kind of in a snapshot, what's been going on with you lately? Uh, a lot of traveling. Um, most recently, I was uh, in, in a, a collaboration with uh, Matt Skufsafson from, you know, he's in, in a band called The Thing. He has an ensemble of about mm, 12 people uh, playing music, music dedicated to uh, Little Richard and uh, Frank Zappa. Which oh, is, sweet. Yeah, great. Yeah, that's awesome. So yeah. your latest album is Sonic Elements, correct? That's a, a couple of years now. The latest one that's just come out, it's called Seven Pieces um, Live at Villa Sal, uh 1995 with uh, Ed, Evan Parker and uh, Donnie Glasrow. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. So let me ask you this. What's been going on lately with you as far as recordings with this one? And how are you feeling about what, what's been going on with recordings lately? Well, there's a lot of stuff that's been uh, coming out. Some of it was uh, recorded quite a while ago, but... Uh, was never released. The, the most recent recordings that I've been doing, I'm, I'm liking what, what what's happening. It's uh, allowing me to play in, in in ways that I've never played before. For example, I'm working with a, a, a sound artist by the name of Graham Lampkin, and uh, we just came back from Mexico City a few days ago. It was a piece for plastic trumpet and stapler, like a huh. stapler that you staple papers together with and he plays the the springs of the stapler into a a microphone with reverb and delay and it becomes like a a space instrument or something that effect wow (laughs) that's wonderful man that's very cool Mm -hmm. so i'm going to go back to your lineage a little bit here you were born in miami and raised in new york yes so my question to you is this how did you get so interested not only in music but in jazz well, my dad was a trumpet player, so he uh, taught me when I was eight years old about about uh, uh, to play music and 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 gave me an interest in not only just jazz but in in, in a lot of different kinds of music. On my mother's side of the family, uh, her her uncle was Alfonso Cooper, and he he was the leader of, uh, of a band called the Savoy Sultans. So there was that element in the family, and also just through some friends whose parents also uh, were interested in jazz, and so it was uh, through that. Mm-hmm. So when you were growing up, what jazz albums did you listen to that were very seminal for you, that really developed your love? Well, I was a big fan of Miles Davis, uh, first of all, and eventually uh, I heard uh, a, a piece called Pithecanthropus Erectus, and that's a mouthful, uh, by Charles Mingus, <clears throat> and that was the first kind of really out what I would consider uh, out music that I'd heard. And, and around that time also, I was 
uh, introduced to the music of Ornette Coleman, John Coltrane, and Eric Dolphy, and people like that. So that's what probably uh, brought me closer to the kind of music that I'm playing today. But early on in high school and in the military bands, you probably mm-hmm. weren't playing that kind of music. What kind of foundation did those bands and those those years give you for, for jazz? Well, basically, uh, while I was in the Army band, of course, I I, uh, I had a chance to play music every day and to uh, learn uh, uh, theory and harmony and eventually uh, composition and so forth. The Army wasn't so keen on improvisation because their whole thing was to they give you instructions and you follow them without, you know, deviating at all. Um, early on, of course, I was listening to, you know, rock and roll and music that everybody else was. Being in the Army Band also uh, put me in contact with other musicians who had, had experience with jazz and so on, and it was mostly that kind of thing. So in 1967, your first album with Clifford Thornton, Freedom and Unity, comes out. How did that feel? What was that like, that first album? It was uh, recorded the day after John Coltrane's funeral, for example. And I had been, uh, thanks to Ornette Coleman, who uh, said to me one day, uh, are you going to go to the funeral? And I said, no, I I was, uh, that was on a Friday. The next day was the day that we recorded that Freedom and Unity album. So I didn't have you know, the proper clothes. I didn't think to, to go to a funeral. He said, you don't need clothes. You just need to go there. So I went. And, uh, of course, uh, Albert Eilers' band was playing there and, and uh, uh, Ornette Coleman's band. I heard uh, heard that music. And the next day at the recording session, I walk into the recording session and the bass player, one of the two bass players, was Jimmy Garrison. So it kind of knocked, knocked me out. How could that be possible? Playing. Yeah. Well, when you look back, are you are you grateful that you did go to the funeral? Absolutely. Uh, uh, not only uh, because I was at John Coltrane's funeral, but um, to 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 be also in the presence of uh, of these great musicians who whose music really influenced me. People like, uh, as I said, uh, Ornette Coleman and Albert Eiler, and. Uh, to be there and to hear that, uh, you know, it's a once-in-a-lifetime kind of an experience, yeah. So how hard was it at the age of 32 to teach yourself the sax? Actually, I was 28. Okay. How hard was it? Not very hard at all. I wanted to uh, play the saxophone for a long time, and after hearing the music of, of Albert Eiler, I thought, well, uh, why not try it? I, the job that I had, uh, I was working for a long time in a in a factory, an automotive ball bearing factory, and uh, they went on strike, so I didn't have anything to do. I borrowed a saxophone from a, a friend, and two days later, I walked into uh, a club where I, I had been playing, you know, trumpet at jam sessions and stuff like that, and I just started to play, and they said to me, uh, this is our gig, please don't come back with that thing. So for a year, I just uh, stayed inside, uh, bought a book on uh, technique with a saxophone and learned how to play it. And the next year was my uh, first recording for CJR Records, and I hired the guys who told me not to come back with that thing for my first first recording. It was sweet. That's some good karma right there, for sure. 
<laughs> so during your first go around in the late 60s and 70s at mm-hmm. Vassar College, what was your teaching philosophy with the kids and with who you were teaching? Well, it was, it was basically a, a, a music appreciation uh, course, and uh, I was trying to introduce um, students to music after uh, bebop. So, again, the music of, of uh, Ornick Holm and John Coltrane and people like that. Uh, the experience... Well, at that time, of course, uh, the Vietnam War was going on, and while I was teaching there, the, the events at Kent State happened. So it was pretty traumatic and um, and, 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 and very interesting. There was uh, also the uh, civil rights uh, uh, events were happening, and uh, eventually, you know, uh, uh, it was right after Martin Luther King had been uh, killed and... and uh, Robert Kennedy and so on. It was pretty. It was pretty a dynamic uh, moment. So you were probably weaving in a lot of what was going on in the world with what mu- music probably was a healer for a lot of people at the time. It was. It was a healer, and also um, it was uh, a kind of catalyst to bring people together at at that time. With the, the say, the listening, of course, to the music of uh, Archie Shep and Sun Ra and people like that, and bringing all of that into. Uh, into the uh, into the course as well. Yeah. So you had not been signed onto a major label in the U.S. until the '90s. You were known in Europe and around the world. What? Mm-hmm. How did how did that come about? Did, was that kind of a premeditated thing? Did you mind it or? No, 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 no. Actually, I've never been uh, 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 signed to a major label. I I uh, started uh, because of a friend of mine, Craig Johnson, who uh, created a, a label. For, for my music, uh, CJ, CJR Records. Um, and Werner Ullinger, who was, is the uh, producer of Hat Hut Records, had come to the States because he bought one of those CJR records. He found some tapes that, that we had recorded, but we didn't have time to uh, release. Uh, one of those he, he released, it was the first uh, recording for Hat Hut, but I don't think he had a label name at that time. It was called Black Magic Man. That was the first Hat Hut recording. And then there were several others that followed after that uh, on on the Hat Hut label, yeah. I've only re- recorded actually for independent labels. And then you've been in a lot of bands over the years, like yeah. the uh, Deep Listening Band, Trio X. How did these bands come about, and how do they serve your music id, so to speak? Uh, well, the deep listening experience was through Pauline Oliveros. I was invited to New Music America in 1981, and she was one of the people who had uh, been on the board there, who created that deep that uh, New Music America uh, program. And uh, it turns out that she lived near near here in, at uh, Kingston, New York. And so she and I collaborated for a while with Trio X. Dominic Duval and Jay Rosen were driving down from Cadence, upstate New York, and uh, listening to a, a, a recording they had done, duo with a violinist. And Dominic decided that he wanted to play with me, so from the road he telephoned me and said, listen, I'm a bass player, and I think we should play together. And I said, well, I don't have a band, so I don't think that's going to happen. And he said, well, you could have a band because there's a drummer right here with me. It was Jay Rosen. And I said, yeah, okay, if something happens, I'll see. And it turns out that John Zved, who was uh, working at Yale at the time, it, um, had invited me to 
put a band together to play for um, uh, John Coltrane birthday celebration that was going to be held at the uh, Knitting Factory in New York. So I invited Dominic and Jay and uh, another saxophone player, Joe Giardulo, and uh, we had that quartet. The next year, I was invited to play at the Vision Festival, and I invited Jay and uh, Dominic as the Joe McPhee Trio. And after that concert, nobody wrote about it. Nobody said anything about it, except one blogger said, well, the band wasn't bad, but they're probably a one-hit wonder. We'll never hear from them again. Hmm. So we took that and, uh, and it took the name Trio X. The X wasn't political or anything like that. It was just that nobody knew who we were. So we yeah. took that as our name. Right on. So over over the years, you've been awarded quite a few awards and been recognized. What, I'm not, I don't want to know what your favorite award was, but what, what one did you get to surprise you the most? Well, 1995, um, out in Seattle, Washington, at the Earshot uh, Jazz Festival, we won what was called the Golden Ear Award for the, <laughs> the best uh, concert in, in the Pacific Northwest that year. That that kind of surprised me. Right on. Yeah. So, you, you know, you've been really dedicated to the free jazz craft for a long, long time now. When you look back on your career, how do you feel about it? How do you feel about your contribution? That's a curious question. Um, first of all, uh, free jazz is kind of a, a strange kind of title. I don't know if it's free jazz or whatever. I, I, I like to hope that the music that I play is good music. I don't know if I could put it in a category like uh, jazz or whatever, improvised music. I'm pretty happy with my contribution because I, I, I've been able to play with a lot of different people all over the world and uh, and make some mm, music that's not too bad. I'm happy with right that. Right on. Right on. How has travel enhanced your voice in music? You have been all over the world. What, what does that do for you, not only as a musician, but as a person? It makes me very tired. I hate traveling now, especially the airlines are horrible. Yeah. But I like it. I, you know, I like meeting new people and, and, and being involved in new situations. Um, it keeps me young because I'm like 350 years old now, and, you know, <laughs> traveling, <laughs> traveling keeps me young. Yeah, that's cool, man. Yeah. You, you know, you've played with a lot of people. I'm sure you've seen a lot of shows. Is mm-hmm. there a is there a show if you could go back in time that you never got to catch or a musician that you would go back and see? Oh wow! I'd like to go back and 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 see something. I I, I saw Miles Davis his second uh, great quartet or quintet whatever it was that had um, uh, Tony Williams in it and Wayne Shorter. I'd like to see that. That was amazing for me. Yeah. Let me ask you this: Why do you love jazz? Uh, what? Wow, you've got some questions there. <laughs> Why? I guess it's because I, I I like the excitement of not knowing what's coming next. I like uh, I like improvised music. I like to uh, think that I'm 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 making music and not just playing music. That's I guess the best way I could describe that. So, uh, of all the fans you played for, all the fans that have bought your music, have you got a compliment from someone that stuck with you? Yeah, I was uh, on tour a few years ago in uh, in Bucharest, Romania, uh, with a, a, a trio that I play with called Survival Unit Three, with uh, Fred Lombard Holm, who's a cellist, and Michael Zarang, a drummer, and we had just played a concert, um, 
and we're standing out on the street, and a young a young guy came by, and as he passed, he said, nation time. And I looked at him, and I said, excuse me, could you come here? Why did you say that? And he had been at the concert, and he said, because I put that on my uh, alarm on my uh, when I have to get up to go to work. It's nation time. It's time to get I can't use the expletive to get up and get to work. <laughs> I dig it. Yeah. So what's the proverbial next for you? I, I know you're going to keep on keeping on, but do you have things that you want to get done? Yeah, I'm just looking for the next whatever. Like you said, um, I'm like I said, I'm playing with this uh, sound artist, Graham Lampkin, and we're creating um, things out of nothing. We were in, in Mexico City with a plastic trumpet, and a stapler. Now, how are you going to make music out of that? Nobody knows, yeah. but we can do that. <laughs> and I've got something coming up in March in London. I'm going to play a solo concert in a, an abandoned water tank. And I think right. the uh, it's the closest thing that I can think of with Pauline Oliveros, who just passed away a few days ago, with her deep listening experience in a cistern in, in uh, Washington State with the sound of reverb and delay in such a place. I'm looking forward to that. Beautiful. So everyone has a version of who you are, your family, your friends, all of your colleagues, those that you play music for. But when you wake up and you go out into the world, who do you think you are? <laughs> God, you're too much, man. Who do I think I am? <laughs> That's amazing. Well, I think I'm me. I'm, uh, I'm a kind of unique person like one of those snowflakes falling, like everybody else is around. And, and I keep looking for uh, another one a little different. I'm just... So happy to have another day to wake up and have an opportunity to start it all over again. Great answer. Great way to wrap everything up. Joe, thank you for taking some time out. Thank you for being gracious enough and, and for all the music. Well, thank you for, for having me, and I love your questions. Keep it going, man. Thanks for listening and tuning in to yet another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players in New York, Kansas City, and spots all over the world, giving fans all that jazz. And thanks to Joe for his time, his legendary status, and all that music. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store, or you can visit NeonJazz at YouTube.com. And for everything Neon Jazz, go to the NeonJazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends. Neon Jazz.